0: Did you ever have one of your parents, or maybe it was a teacher at school, ever say to you, hey, (laughs) what's the big idea? You've you've had that, or maybe you've said it, and you knew they weren't asking you some abstract question about the meaning of life. (laughs) What's the big idea about life? No. Actually, their question wasn't even a question at all. It was a thinly veiled accusation. Their words were easily translated by you why are you doing what you're doing and it's usually was said in a tone that conveyed you are in so much trouble (laughs) and they were challenging you through that expression to justify your bad behavior or your lack of good behavior and judgment and justify it with some kind of a, a valid excuse or explanation. And if you were like me, you typically didn't have one. (laughs) You know, maybe just a hastily made up uh, excuse for the mess that you were standing right in the middle of. Jimmy did it. (laughs) Maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Or maybe just silence. If someone asked you this morning, um in, in all earnestness like they were serious what's the big idea of the Christian life I mean you're standing in the middle of it right now right how would you answer them what, what would roll off your your lips right away What's the overarching, ultimate goal of this Christian life that we are all living and worshiping in right now? Why are we doing what we are presently doing? Do you have a good answer? A clear, clarifying answer. People do watch the church. I mean, closely. Um, uh, Often it's with a very critical eye looking for you and I to mess up and we oblige them quite often. They do question. They do wonder, and they probably see all kinds of inconsistencies, right? And those inconsistencies don't help them understand what the big idea is. Some theologians over the years have answered that question with, the big idea of the Christian life is quorum deo. And and everybody's going, well, thanks for answering it in Latin. I mean, it's a dead language, dude. I mean, why are you... you, It's Latin for in the presence of God. And I agree with them 100%. And I believe from God's Word that Coram Deo captures the essence of the Christian life that you and I are to live and we are in together right now this morning during this hour. The phrase literally means... And refers to something, to anything that takes place in the presence or before the face of God. To live quorum deo is to is to live your entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, for the glory of God. And so you should be asking yourself right now, I mean, this was the first question I had as I as I was working through this. Well. Don't we all live in the presence of God, whether we believe it or not, right? Isn't everything that I do and say and even what you are thinking right now before his face? You have all God's people said, amen. Yes, that's, that's the way it is. Hebrews 4.13, no creature, that covers them all, is hidden from his sight but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account one day. Psalm 139, verses 2 to 4. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you knew it altogether. So, yes, he knew I was just going to say that. That's a fact. He had predetermined I was going to say that this morning. There's no escaping God. Just ask Jonah. And it's way more than this too. What the Bible is getting at is for you and I to live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we're we're doing and wherever we are doing it, We are acting under the gaze of almighty God. God is omnipresent. It's one of his characteristics and there is no place that is so remote that you and I can escape his penetrating gaze. Oh, we try to go to those places and we try to put it out of our mind and we go and do something we know we shouldn't be doing. He sees it. He knows it. (laughs) He knew we were going in that direction. So the big idea of living in the presence of God changes our choices, does it? Did it change any of your choices this week? It influences our friendships, the ones we are to have and the ones we are not to have. It alleviates many of our concerns, and aren't we concerned today for our world? It transforms how we spend our money. It produces joy, real joy and real contentment. Hebrews 10, 35 to 39 encourages us with, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Don't do this. It has great reward for you have need of endurance. Oh, my goodness, yes. So that when you have done the will of God, because you're living in His presence, you may receive what is promised. This is what we talked about the last two weeks. Our promise is heaven, a new heaven on earth. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come. Please make it today, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back. Is that True. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, perse- and preserve their souls. We persevere to the end because we have Jesus. There's two, only two things I want to leave with you today. Yeah, it's not a three-point sermon, just two. And the first is this. To live in the awareness of the presence of God. This is what we're talking about is to be acutely aware of God's sovereignty. The common experience of all of us in this family at Grace Chapel and in this larger family, the the church in in the global community, it's through our faith in the gospel of salvation, it's through Jesus' death on the cross. Our common experience is to recognize that if God is God, if if this is really true and this is what we believe, then He is indeed sovereign, right? He's got to be, or he's not God. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, before he used his uh, Greek name, Paul, when Saul was confronted by the blinding glory of the risen Jesus Christ, he was standing in his presence. He's on the road to Damascus. You remember that story? And and it was a road he had chosen to go to that city to root out and arrest believers in Jesus Christ, put them in jail, take them away in chains. What was his immediate question? It was, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He wasn't sure who he was speaking to, who had just asked him a question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But he knew that whomever it was, that someone that he was in the presence of was certainly sovereign over him. He knew that. You and I, this world, is in the presence of God, whether we're walking His path at the present time or not, whether we're even rebelling against the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ. Living under divine sovereignty involves so much more than what I often see people living and what I myself am so tempted to portray myself. It's scary. This is what I mean. Don't you find that sometimes you have this kind of a reluctant submission to the sheer sovereignty of a holy God? It's kind of a reluctant submission. And what I mean by that is, ah, I guess I better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, get, I don't want to get slammed by God, so I need to do this. Um, I don't really want to right now. I don't feel like it, but I know I should. It's it's a submission that's rooted and motivated out of a fear of punishment. It's like when you were a little kid and you did it because it's like, if we don't do this, we're going to get killed. Oh, and don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong where I'm going with this. There will be. There is most definitely discipline for God's children when we decide to do things our own way. Yeah, He loves us so much, he, he, he brings us back. But is that why we do what we do? I mean, really, is that why I act in kindness to someone else? Like fear of punishment? Is that the kind of of living in the presence of God that Jesus died on the cross for? Shouldn't my lifestyle choices day by day involve recognizing that there is no higher goal in life than offering honor and praise and worship to God because He's God? Isaiah 37, 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, Enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. He's God because he's good. Mark ten eighteen, and Jesus said to him, to the rich young ruler, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Why why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, because he's faithful. Because He's forgiving. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because everything is because of Him. 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us, you and I in this room, who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist because He will never leave me and He is the true source of my wealth. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have because that's what God wants you to have for He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm sovereign over all this because he cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties. Anybody anxious today? Don't put your hand up. Anybody anxious today about what's going on? Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares. He cares for you by name. Our lives would be these living sacrifices we we talk about almost every Sunday, living in obedience. Why? Because it's offered not in a spirit of fear, but it's offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, a merciful God, I am not going one day to where I should be going but by the grace of God, I'm going to a paradise to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world. That's easy. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what's perfect. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to leave with you today is to live with this awareness of the presence of God is to live a life of integrity. We throw that word around a lot. We don't see it lived out all that much. Do you remember when we traveled through the book of Daniel last year? Do you remember? I mean, mean, every book of the Bible is my favorite book when I'm talking about it. But Daniel is one of the top 10 at least. We went through that book together, and do you remember that no matter what condition he found himself in, he lived in Coram Dale. And that acknowledgement and that submission directed all of his choices, all of his life choices. It was, it was phenomenal to read through that book, page after, after page, and even really difficult choices, life and death choices that he had to make in the presence of a ruler who could take his physical life at a word. But that was not the presence that really concerned him. Am I back on? Yeah. That was not the presence that really concerned him. And even though Jesus had not yet spoken these words to his disciples, Daniel believed the truth of Matthew 24, 13, when Jesus said to them, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That would be living in the presence of God, acknowledging that to the end. It's a truth that God reaffirmed to Daniel at the end of that book in the last verses in Daniel 12:13. He heard, but go your way, Daniel, till the end, and you'll rest, and you're going to stand in your allotted place at the end of days, and so are you, and so am I. There's this life of wholeness that's to be lived by every blood-bought child of God. There's this life that finds its unity and its consistency in the majesty and the promises of God alone, nothing else. How would you describe your present condition today? You You know, in the times that we now live. How would you say, like if I said, so how's your day going? And you were honest and you didn't say fine, but you were honest with me because we're in church. How would you describe it? Is it whole or is it fragmented? Is it unified or you describe it as I'm kind of being pulled apart right now? A fragmented life is a life coming undone. Um, it's it's f- maybe even falling apart. It's for sure losing its strength and its foundation. It, it's a life marked by inconsistencies, disharmony, confusion, conflict, contradictions, fear, and chaos. <laughs> it's a life marked with blaming everyone and everything else for its present condition. It's a life that caves all too quickly in the presence of this world's pressures. And they're right outside that door. They're waiting for us. But you see, that's just it. The world's presence is not the influencing presence that we live by. God alone determines our coming and our going. Romans 9, 20 20 and 21 but who are you, O oh man? I, I have to read this passage quite often to remind myself of my place. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? It's a rhetorical question. It's like, don't. <laughs> Just don't. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Have you ever said that to God? Why did you make me like this? Why couldn't I be like Has the potter no right over the clay? Of course he does. Be careful how you respond to what's coming for you this afternoon. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself before God. At the end of the day, I do not stand before any of you. I stand before God. Remember Job? He arguably had the worst day in recorded history. I I challenge anyone to outdo it. And he said right after that horrid day, in Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22, then Job arose, he tore, I mean, he was broken up, absolutely. He tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I've had discussions with individuals who've said to me, church is church, home is home, and business is business. It's usually in response to acting in what could be considered an ungodly manner. The child of God who compartmentalizes his or her life into into sections, usually sections of religious and non-religious, into this is how I behave around Christians, and this is how I behave around non-Christians. They've failed to grasp the big idea that every day we live, In the presence of God a fair question to living a compartmentalized life is hey what's the big idea the Bible's big idea is that all of life is religious or all of life is non-religious to divide life between religion and non-religion is sacrilege there's no excuse for the child of God who determines that this is how you live life. You have to live it this way. You have to compartmentalize. It's the only way to survive in this world. That's a cop-out. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul puts it plainly in verses 7 through 16. But we have this treasure, this gospel message, this salvation, the Holy Spirit of God. We have this treasure, what? In jars of clay, yes. But that just shows the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, that He would place Himself inside of me. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying carrying in the body the death of, of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Christ's sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh how are you doing so death is at work in us let's acknowledge that but life in you, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I live in his presence right now, but one day it's going to be realized. Like, is actually going to see him face to face. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. We should be the most thankful people on the planet in the face of what we're experiencing in society. Why? To the glory of God. So don't lose heart. Though our outer self, okay, this is, I'm sure everybody can relate to this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This means that if a person fulfills his or her vocation as a homemaker, an attorney, yes, even an attorney, or a teacher, and they fulfill it in quorum deo, then that person is acting every bit as religiously as a soul-winning evangelist who's used by God to lead thousands to Jesus Christ. There's no different level there. It means that David was as religious when he obeyed God's call to be faithful to his father and go take care of sheep as he was when he was anointed by the special grace of kingship, kingship, It means that Jesus was every bit as religious when he obeyed his mother and father as a child as he was when he obeyed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It means that although my outer self is daily wasting away, what a thought, right? I don't lose heart because God is faithful and he is renewing me on the inside day by day. Day by day. Dear Lord, three things I pray. To see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, to follow you more nearly, day by day. Integrity. It's found when men and women live their lives in a consistent pattern, individually and corporately. It's evidenced in how you and I support and encourage and assist each other physically, spiritually, to live that way. It's a a pattern that, that, that functions the same basic way whether we are inside these church walls or we are outside these church walls. There's no difference. It's a life in which all is done is done as to the Lord, It's a life lived by principle, not expediency, by humility towards God, not defiance. It's a life lived under a conscience that is held captive by the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Coram Deo, before the face of God, that's the big idea. And alongside that big idea, all my goals and ambitions become mere trifles. Romans 8:31 In response, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You and me. It's God who justifies Who is to condemn us? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us today. Who shall shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And God's people said, no, none of these things. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to worship God in His presence together. And then I'm going to come back up after for a little benediction. Let's pray. Lord, we prepare our hearts having been flooded with Your Word. Our only response is praise and gratitude and thankfulness and worship to you alone. In the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus, amen.